My name is Michael. I'm one of the uh, pastors in the life of the church. Uh, together with my wife, Crystal, we lead the Tailview 5 p.m. congregation. And it is an absolute privilege to be preaching this evening, Life Changes Century City 5 p.m. congregation. It is one of my favorite congregations to preach at. But uh, we're in a series called We the Church, and we're looking at the power and the potential of the local church. And part of that is actually looking that we devote ourselves to fellowship, we devote ourselves to the uh, gatherings, we devote ourselves to the breaking of bread and prayer, and we devote ourselves to being together, to gather together. And what we did this past Friday is that as men, we gathered together and we watched the rugby. Come on, somebody. And we watched the rugby while we thrashed the All Blacks. Amen. Praise Jesus. The Lord is good. Uh, but there's going to be some uh, pictures on the screen behind me. But this is just part of the local church. We want to create moments where we can gather together, where we can fellowship with one another, and where we can also invite other people to experience God's goodness and experience God's grace. And so, men, if you have not signed up for the men's camp yet, I want to challenge you, sign up today. Don't wait for another moment. Invite people. I promise you this is going to be a special time. God always does incredible things in our hearts through this time. And so if you haven't signed up for men's camp, go to the next step says after the service, sign up. If finances are an issue, come chat to uh, one of the pastors, come chat to Brett, come chat to myself. We want to see you there because I promise you God does something in us as men when we gather together, when we fellowship in unity. You don't want to miss that moment. And then secondly, we are having a bring and share next week here in the PM service. Again, it's another moment to fellowship. It's another moment to gather together and experience God's goodness. So who are you inviting? Who are you inviting to that moment? And then bring a plate of eats to share. Maybe find someone new to, to encounter and get to know that evening. I promise you God does wonders in community. And we see that we devote ourselves to fellowship. No one else can devote us. But it's incredible to be together. Like I said, we're in a series called We the Church. And we are going through the uh, Acts 2 verse 42. But basically, we're looking at these four things that God is dealing with us as a community. Firstly, our mandate as the local church. That we are bigger than the four walls of this church. We are bigger than a brand called Life Changers. We are bigger than just a sign or a yellow wall. We are the local church, and we're supposed to be a sign and a wonder to a world in desperate need of hope, freedom, and healing. Secondly, our attitude to the world around us must be the same as that of Christ Jesus. The way Jesus approached people and got down in the dirt and the dust and washed his disciples' feet and uh, sat with tax collectors and sinners, we're supposed to have the same attitude of Christ Jesus as the local church. We're also supposed to stand and believe in the power of the gospel to shape and transform lives. We're not just here on a Sunday to sing words on a screen and just tick box Christianity where we attend church on a Sunday, have a cup of coffee, laugh with our mates, and then go by our week. No, we are here because we believe in the power to shape and transform lives. That we experience that grace and that power, but also as we go out, as we go on mission with Jesus Christ, other people will experience that power and that grace too. And then fourthly, that the Acts 2, 42 scripture, they devoted themselves, shows the power and the potential of the local church. And I want to ask you, do you believe in that power and potential tonight? Because you sitting here tonight, you sitting here by God's grace, by His power, shows something to the world that you are a sign and a wonder. So as the church, we are called to cultivate and create. 
what we want to see in the world, we as believers of Jesus Christ are called to cultivate and create that. If we want to see hope, freedom, and joy, believing in the gospel, experiencing his grace, we are called to go out and cultivate those very things in the world. And so the only expression of the local church is a hands-on local church. It's one who gets into the mess and the brokenness of people's lives, showing the grace of Jesus Christ wherever we go. And I promise you, there is power and potential in that local church. And so we are called to cultivate and create. And one of the things we are called to cultivate is hospitality. Hospitality means this, welcoming the stranger. And we see in the Bible that hospitality is a big deal. But I know hospitality from my father. My father is an extrovert. He is one of those people who will chat to anyone, no matter their race, no matter their demographic, no matter whether he knows them for three seconds or for 30 years, he will have a conversation with you. And so much so, uh, growing up, wherever we went, we moved house 13 times in my life. But no matter where we went, he made friends with all the neighbors. When I was in grade two, we just moved into a new place. The very next day, he was climbing over the fence so that he could have a bribe with our neighbor. Then he made a door in the fence so that he could have quicker access. And he would speak for so long, often the meat was burnt. That's okay, but why? Because he wanted to do life with one another. When he moved into his complex where he's at now, he decided that he would knock on every door in that apartment block and just invite them to coffee. Within two days, he had a, probably around 23 people through his house. But those were people who were Muslim, who were old, who were black, who were white. And I understood that actually there's a culture of hospitality. It's not just a principle or something we believe in as the church. We need to cultivate and create the culture of hospitality. And so I'm asking you the question tonight, do you have a culture of hospitality? Because when we look at Acts 2 verse 42, this is a picture of the local church, but this was a local church who believed in hospitality, believed in welcoming the stranger. Why? Because they saw Jesus Christ, and Jesus did the same. So let's read Acts 2 verse 42. It's going to come up on the screen behind me. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Now, this group of believers were Jews and Gentiles. It's a group who was God's chosen people, the Israelites, but they were also the Gentiles, and that's you and me, people who were outside the inheritance and the promises of God before Jesus Christ. But this scripture says they had everything in common. I promise you, they did not have everything in common. Those two groups actually hated one another. They did not want to do life with one another. But this says they had everything in common. Why? Because the grace they received through Jesus Christ. We have everything through, in common through Jesus Christ because he calls a group of believers together who look different, who maybe act differently and come from different backgrounds, but we are a sign and a wonder to a world in desperate need of healing and restoration and unity because of Jesus Christ. And so are we uh, cultivating a culture of hospitality in our church for our world? Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you that we can gather as sons and daughters in your house. 
I thank you that you have called us and chosen us tonight, Lord. I thank you that you have a plan for each and every one of us this evening, Lord. But I pray, Lord, that as we've experienced the love of Jesus Christ, that you will fill us with that love and that we will go out and overflow in that love, Lord, to every person that we encounter, Lord, that we will welcome the stranger in our homes and in our hearts, that we will be a people of hospitality, a people that show the grace and the love of Jesus Christ wherever we go, Lord, that this local church, Life Changes Church, 5 p.m. congregation at Century City will be a sign and a wonder to the world. We pray this in your mighty name. Amen and amen. So hospitality isn't just a principle. It is something that is practiced in the gospel. And this is on the back of a preach that uh, Peter preached. And 3,000 people were saved that day. And they encountered Jesus Christ. And they encountered the love of God. And they encountered Jesus as Lord and Messiah. And so their life became, become, uh, their life became awakened to the good news of Jesus Christ. And so we need to understand that as they came alive to Jesus Christ, they got this idea that they need to fellowship together, that they had to be in the presence of one another because the person sitting opposite, opposite them was also encountering Jesus Christ and his grace. And so as we go in the local church, hospitality means that we welcome the stranger in our homes and in our hearts. See, we like to think that we're often the main character of the Bible, that we're often the main character of the story. And when I uh, watched Braveheart, I thought that actually, you know, if William Wallace had to call me up, I would be right there in the front, right there charging and crying out a battle cry, but I would probably be the first person to get shot with an arrow and fall down. That's just, we like to think we're the main character of the story. And often we like to even think that sometimes we would be the disciples that Jesus would have chosen, eh? we would have been at least one of the 72. And maybe if there were a few betrayals, that we would have been part of the 12, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, just me, just me. No, we like to think that privately because we like to think that Jesus would have chosen us. But the reality of the gospel is that we didn't choose Jesus. Jesus chose us as sinners. And so there's a shift that needs to take place in our hearts and our minds that we aren't the main character of the story, that actually as Gentiles, the Bible calls us, that we were separate from God's promises and his inheritance, that we would have been part of the 3,000 that were added. So we came late to the party. There was a whole testament devoted to God's people who were the Israelites. We were not a part of that. We came late to the party. And we accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And because of that, we are part of God's family. It is only through the grace of Jesus Christ that we have been adopted as sons and daughters into God's family. If you are sitting here tonight and you have received the grace of Jesus Christ, know that it's only by His grace and His power that He chose you. We didn't choose Him first. He chose us before the beginning of the world. And so rather than being good people who choose Jesus, we are sinners chosen by Jesus through his grace. And so the whole story of the gospel is one of divine hospitality. Jesus welcomed us as strangers into his family so that we could have an eternal inheritance. And so just like Jesus, we are to do the same. Will we invite strangers into our homes, into our hearts, so that they could have an internal inheritance through Jesus Christ, our Savior? 
And so Jesus came to save and seek the lost, to welcome the stranger into his new family. And because of this grace, we have received an internal inheritance. It says this in Ephesians 2, verse 11 to 12. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who called themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body of human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. See, we have been shown divine hospitality by Jesus Christ, and therefore we are called to show divine hospitality to others. The problem we face in our society is that we live in a society of division. We live in a society of boundaries. And you can see this rhetoric in our politics, in sexuality, in gender, in economics, whatever that is, you can see a boundary of division. We just use language like them and they. And so we live in a society that excludes others. We live in a society that actually puts others at a distance and our language is one of othering. And so we are conditioned to think of others in terms of them and they, as strangers. But the gospel calls us to welcome strangers in. It's an inclusive gospel, and it transforms people from the inside out. And so the problem is that if we don't allow the gospel to shape our lives, the gospel isn't going to shape the local church. As believers of Jesus Christ sitting here tonight, we need to allow the gospel to get deep inside of our hearts so that we can be a sign and a wonder to a world in desperate need of His grace. And so the very nature of the gospel is to welcome the stranger into this new family called the bride of Christ. The very nature, the foundation of the gospel is to welcome the stranger, is to invite people to experience his goodness and his grace, to invite people to experience his transforming power, to invite people to experience his healing, to invite people to experience his restoration, to invite people to experience all that Christ has to offer. And it starts with us welcoming the stranger. Will we be a people who welcomes the stranger? And so what does divine hospitality look like? Point number two, hospitality kills our prejudice. The word for hospitality in the Bible, in the Greek, is philoxenia. It means to love the stranger. Not only do we welcome the stranger, but we love the stranger. It's the same root where we get xenophobia from, hate of the stranger or fear of the stranger. And so Hebrews 13 verse 1 to 2 says this, keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters, but do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. For by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. It's not just enough to pray for a stranger or to welcome the stranger into these four walls. Do we love the stranger? And the stranger can be the person sitting next to us, a person who is different from us, a person who doesn't have the same skin color, a person who comes from a different background or demographic, some person who may we, we may keep at a distance, who we don't share the same tastes as, or we don't share the same preferences with. That person could be the stranger. Will we welcome that stranger into our hearts and our home and show them love like Jesus Christ did? 
See, that is the core of the gospel. And this isn't just a principle or something we get to pick and choose. This is a command by Jesus Christ. As believers, we are supposed to love one another. Henry Nouwen, a great theologian, says this, hospitality means primarily the creation of free space where the stranger can enter and become a friend instead of an enemy. Are we creating spaces where strangers can become friends instead of enemies? In this church, are we creating spaces? In our hearts, are we creating spaces? In our lives, are we creating spaces? In our thought lives, in our marriages, in our families, are we creating spaces where enemies can become friends? See, the reality is that none of us are too sinful to be used by Jesus Christ. But we may be too busy to be used by Jesus Christ. And so this isn't a, a, just a time issue. This is a priority issue and a heart issue. That Jesus is wanting to get into our hearts. And this offends my heart as well. Because my heart uh, tends towards comfort and my own way of doing things. It tends to my preference, my tastes. But actually Jesus shows us a different gospel where we are called together as believers, different races, different backgrounds, different demographics, and we show the world something that the world does not have. We show the world grace and truth that is only on offer by Jesus Christ. And so we aren't too sinful to be used by Jesus, but we can be too busy. See, this is what was done for us through the grace and the blood of Jesus Christ. We were separated from Christ, excluded from his presence, but through the cross, we are no longer enemies, but part of his family. He welcomed us as strangers. And we were enemies, but now we are friends. Now we are sons and daughters. See, what Christ did for us, we need to do for others. We need to do for others. It's not just an option. It is a command by Jesus Christ. See, we are called to cross categories, and we are called to cross boundaries through the love and grace of Jesus Christ. Hospitality is not secondary to the gospel, but is primar primary to Jesus' mission in the world. We will reach the world through hospitality by welcoming the stranger. Just take a moment and think or ask yourself the question, when is the last time I had someone in my home who was maybe a different color to me? Not your mate of 10 or 15 years, but someone you don't know well. Someone maybe you wouldn't do life with normally. When is the last person you invited that, uh, last time you invited that person into your home or had a coffee with them or sat and just found out their story on a Sunday or maybe welcomed that person that you can see is sitting by themselves? When is the last time you stepped out in faith and allowed the gospel to get in your life and to maybe shake those walls of comfort? And I'm preaching to my own heart here because in my own heart, I can tend to smallness. In my own heart, I can tend to safe, sanitized Christianity. And I can come to church on a Sunday, and I can sing all these songs, and I can sing hallelujah to God, and that He is holy, but never do I walk in the way of Jesus Christ and actually invite others into my lives. They devoted themselves to fellowship. We can't devote you, but we need to devote ourselves. Why? Because Jesus Christ devoted Himself on a cross and showed us a picture of grace, and showed us a picture of fellowship. Who are you inviting into your life? See, we are better together. We need to show the world divine hospitality. 
Acts 2 continues with this in verse 46. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I want to see more and more salvations. But it starts with fellowship. It starts with showing people Jesus Christ. And so we can see that they met together in each other's homes. The table is at the center of the gospel. People's lives are shaped and transformed at the table. The table is a picture of Jesus. And so the table is at the center of the church. And so meals were something way more important than in today's society. When someone shared a meal, it was a way of including someone or excluding someone. It is a boundary marker. It showed who was part of your family or who was part of your nation. And so meals were really, really important in the first century. And so when we invite people into our homes and when they gather together, they were showing a world that actually there's fellowship here, that as believers of Jesus Christ, it showed something different. Because Jews and Gentiles would not mix. They would not mix. They hated one another. They thought of one another as lowly. They thought of one another as outside of the promises of God. Jews and Gentiles did not mix. So for a second, think of the worst type of person you can. This will be the only time I ask you to do this in church. Think of the worst type of person you can. Think of the person who is at the bottom of the moral hierarchy. The person you do not want to associate with. The person who makes your skin grill. The person who you actually don't want to be seen near your family or anyone around you. Who's that person? Now imagine for a second that Jesus shared a meal with that person. The apostles and the disciples invited that person into their homes. Or they brought that person into your home and your space. How would that make you feel? See, if you were a Jew, you would not be caught dead eating in the home of a sinner or a Gentile. They were at the bottom of the moral hierarchy. But because they had encountered the grace of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit entered their lives, they did something different. Because of Jesus, they chose to fellowship with one another. They chose to sit around the table. They chose to allow the grace of Jesus Christ to enter their hearts and to love one another, to welcome the stranger, to be hospitable. It is different, Life Changes Church. If we've encountered the grace and the love of Jesus Christ, it needs to look different. See, the inclusion of the Gentiles, of sinners who would have been excluded from the promises and the inheritance of God at the table of fellowship is one of the greatest acts of redeeming love. When we welcome the stranger around a table, it is one of the greatest acts of redeeming love to a world in desperate need of hope and Jesus. See, Jesus got himself killed because of the people he ate meals with. He ate meals with sinners and tax collectors, and the Pharisees did not like it, and they thought that it was unbecoming of the Messiah. But Jesus ate meals with those who were lowly. He crossed boundaries. He crossed divides. See, hospitality kills prejudices. It kills our preferences. And so who are you inviting 
to the feast of Jesus Christ? Are you inviting people around your table? Are you finding out their story? Are you just taking a moment to share the good news of Jesus Christ with them? 2 Corinthians 5 verse 16 says this, So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. We have to adhere to the standards of the Bible. Because we have received Jesus Christ, we can't look at one another with eyes of the world. We need to look at one another with the lens of grace and hospitality. See, am I welcoming the stranger? Am I engaging with people across the boundary lines of society with love and grace? Not just praying for people from a distance, but getting them up close and personal in my life, having them in my home, in my life, in my heart. And the reason we don't do this often is because of prejudices and preferences. It's because people don't look the way we want them to, or they don't share the same taste of, that we do. And maybe they uh, do distasteful practices, or they swear, or they curse, and we just want to keep them at a distance because it offends our sanitized version of Christianity. We need to allow the gospel to take root in our lives. James 2 verse 1 to 4 says this, My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meetings wearing a gold ring and fine clothes and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Verse 8 says this, if you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and, and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. See, we can't take people to Jesus if we have prejudice and preferences in our hearts. It can be as mundane as, I prefer UCT over Stellenbosch. I prefer BMW drivers over Toyota drivers. No one will say that, so it's okay. Public school over private school, that I look down at those from a public school. I don't want to mix with those who are extroverted because it's just not me. Maybe we look down at those who are Congolese or Burundian or from another nation or from Durban. Yeah. <laughs> or Capetonians. Or are you a local Capetonian? See, we all have prejudices and preferences in our hearts. And so there's a difference between a prejudice and a preference. A prejudice is a discrimination towards someone based on a type or a boundary. But a preference is just a taste or something that we enjoy or like. And prejudices are overtly sinful, but preferences are still wrong in the gospel's eyes. Why? Because they keep people at a distance. And we say that, oh, I, I just don't want to mix with this group because they're just not my people. They're just not my people. Maybe they don't enjoy the same things that I do. They don't listen to the same music I do. They don't dress the same way that I do. And so I'm just going to keep them at a distance. I'm going to love them. Yes, we're going to fellowship with one another, but we're never going to hang out. I'm never going to have them in my home and in my heart. And the reality what we're doing there is we're saying that I like the me that I see inside of you. 
We want to engage with people because we see a little bit of ourselves in them. And we share tastes and we share preferences. But preferences have no part in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus did not come based on his preference. He died on the cross through grace and through love for us while we were still sinners, while we were separate from his love and from his story. And he included us as strangers in his great narrative so that we could be redeemed and as a people we could be with him in eternity. Preferences and prejudice need to die in the church because if it doesn't die in the church, it's not gonna die in the world. And so when we welcome the stranger, I promise you it will kill your prejudices because we're going to have to do life with people who look differently from ourselves. I'm going to have to do life with people who don't share the same tastes as I do, but who will challenge me and who will show me Jesus Christ and parts of Jesus Christ I would not see by myself. When I tend to prejudices and preferences, I live a small sanitized version of Christianity. And that's not the gospel that we believe in. Jesus came not to seek a few people, but to seek and save the world. Brothers and sisters of different nations, different backgrounds, different demographics. See, the gospel says, I love the Jesus I see inside of you. We are all made in his image. It's not the me I see inside of you, but it's the Jesus I see inside of you. Will we have that lens? John 13, verse 34 to 35, a new commandment I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. It's not an option. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. See, welcoming the stranger is expressing the welcome of God the Father to all. To all. There's no exclusions. 1 Peter 4, verse 8, above all, love each other deeply, because love covers a multitude of sins. Amen. We like to put that Christian bumper sticker everywhere. It's hanging in bookshops since the first century. Amen. But what comes after that verse? Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Welcoming the stranger, even though we don't want it. Even though it costs us. Even though it's uncomfortable at times, but we need to do it without grumbling. And it comes on the back of a verse that we need to love one another because it covers a multitude of sins. Why? Because it shows the grace of Jesus Christ. We welcome the stranger. We engage with the stranger. And the stranger are those who are not like us. See, this is not based on a principle, but a transformation of our heart through Jesus Christ. And so thirdly, hospitality is practiced. See, we can hear this preach and we can go by our lives and we can just do life with the same people that we would normally do life with. But hospitality needs to be practiced. As the church, we need to recapture the practice of hospitality. It's a practice. It's something that we're gonna have to get better at. It's something that we have to choose to do. It's something that we have to do with intentionality. It's not just gonna happen to us and fall in our laps. We need to practice this at the church. And there's this woman called Rosaria Butterfield. And she was a lesbian feminist in New York City. And she, um, uh, she was a professor at the University of Syracuse. And she was an Italian immigrant. And as an Italian immigrant, she never really experienced hospitality. Her, her parents didn't have people in their homes. They experienced xenophobia. 
and so she never experienced hospitality, but she found a place in the LGBTQ community. And she makes the statement that she felt more welcome in the LGBTQ community than church. And so part of her studies and part of her tenure is that she decided that she's going to write a book at how the, the conservative Christians are basically like the, the demon worshipers of the world. She saw them as being hateful. She saw them as being opposed to all freedom and liberty. And so she went on this journey of actually trying to expose the Christian community of being hateful, not being inclusive, and not welcoming the stranger. And so she wrote this editorial in a New York paper, and it caused this stir. And basically, she got mail in two camps, in two groups. Those who affirmed her beliefs, those who sided with her and experienced the same thing, that they were marginalized by the church, that they were not welcomed, that the church was just one of hate and exclusivity. And then the other camp, Christians saying, how dare she write this? How dare she have these views? How can she blame the local church? How can she throw these bombs at the local church? And so she got these mails and mails and mails, letter upon letter in these two camps. But one day she got a different letter. And it was a letter by a pastor at a small conservative Presbyterian church. And in that letter, it was just asking her some questions about her views and engaging with her. But at the end of the letter, there was an invitation to dinner. And she thought, this is odd. This person is disagreeing with my viewpoint, doesn't stand for what I believe in, I am a lesbian feminist. I know they do not stand for my, or condone my lifestyle, yet they are inviting me to dinner. And so what did she do? Well, she thought she was gonna use this as a research project for her book, that she was gonna prove that she was right, that all Christians hated people like her, that she would not be welcome in their home once they got to know her a little bit. So she went for dinner. And this pastor and his wife invited her and welcomed her into their house. And they got to know her story. And they asked her questions. And not once did they invite her to church. Not once did they preach the gospel to her. But they kept on inviting her to uh, dinner. And they actually turned off the air cons in their house. Why? Because she believed in green living. And they just wanted to make her feel welcome. And they cooked her meals that satisfied her dietary preferences. And for two years, they had her in their home. For two years, every week, they loved her. They showed her kindness. They cared for her. They invited her to meals with other friends and family members. And in that moment, she experienced the love of Jesus Christ because she was welcomed in. And she gave her life to the Lord. And now she's actually married to a minister of the gospel. It's because someone welcomed her as a stranger. She wasn't like them. She didn't believe in the same things they did. She was probably the complete opposite to them. But they took time and they showed her grace and they showed her love 
and they just took time to hear her story. When is the last time we sat down with someone that we do know, don't know and listened to their story? Not just a casual, how are you on a Sunday? But tell me your story. Maybe you don't agree with all their views, but what's their story? Is our posture one of grace and love? Are we more inclusive than other communities? Because we are called to be as the local church. See, this is the way of Jesus. This is not a fringe idea just for extroverted people to have others in our homes. This is the way of Jesus Christ. See, the solution for the future of the church is not bigger services or bigger buildings. It is the people of God on mission in the world, extending love, mercy, and grace. Do you believe that tonight? That very woman who felt that she did not belong, who felt that she was an outsider, writes this about hospitality. Radically ordinary hospitality. Those who live it see strangers as neighbors and neighbors as family of God. They recoil at reducing a person to a category or a label. They see God's image reflected in the eyes of every human being on earth. Those who live out radically ordinary hospitality see their homes not as theirs at all, but as God's gift to use for the furtherance of the kingdom. They open doors. They seek out the underprivileged. They know that the gospel comes with a house key. As I read that this past week, it offended me. Because too often, the door to my house comes with preferences, with obligations, with obstacles. Whether it's my time and I've had a busy and long week. Whether, yes, I have to have another pastoral conversation with the same person again. Nothing's changing in their life. Or they believe something different to me. And again, I have to reach out. Again, I have to step out in faith. But this needs to get deep inside of our hearts. If you have encountered Jesus Christ, this should unsettle you. This should offend you. Because the gospel is offensive. But the gospel is offensive in such a way that it shows love and grace to the outsider. It welcomes the stranger. It crosses every boundary and every divide because Jesus crossed every boundary and every divide on the cross. We are supposed to live the same way as Jesus. As Christ followers, we are supposed to walk in the way of Jesus. And so tonight, are you welcoming the stranger? What does it look to live a life of radically ordinary hospitality I can't answer that for you but if you allow the gospel to get inside of your heart allow him to change and transform your heart I promise you as you walk in his freedom and his grace it will change every every environment you are in and so next week we're having a bring and share as a church why are we doing this so that we can fellowship with one another so that we can do life around the table. Because the table is at the center of the gospel. 
that we can find out one another's stories, that we can show grace and love to one another. Because you never know, you may be someone else's miracle. That they may not have received a welcome or a hello or how are you doing in weeks. We are called to be the local church, Life Changes Century City. We are invited to His table. And because we are invited his, to His table, we need to do unto others as He has done unto us. Can I ask us to stand? Rosario Butterfield has this quote. And this unsettles me more than anything else. She writes this. I wondered if my life was the only evidence that Christ was alive, would anyone be convinced? If my life as Michael Hedenskog was the only evidence that Christ was alive, would anyone be convinced? If Life Changes Church was the only evidence that Christ was alive, would anyone be convinced? We need to allow the gospel to get into our hearts, to kill prejudices, to kill preferences, and to be the hope of the world. He's inviting us to the table where we come and eat, where we come experience His grace, but where we allow our lives to be shaped and transformed and forever changed.